Well, let's read together from God's Word. We're turning to the book of Psalms, and we're reading together Psalm number 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. And there's that little word, Selah, at the end of that line, and it might be a musical direction. We're not entirely sure, but it marks a, a, a division of the psalm. Perhaps pause and think about what you've read. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Selah. Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'll remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O Lord, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Where do you turn in your times of trouble? Because times of trouble will come. Sometimes Christians tend to try and almost deny that they do have hard and difficult times. But the Bible warns us that we will. They'll come to us within the plan of God. So when trouble comes, where do you turn? Well, as Christians, of course, we know we ought to turn to the Lord. That's something that should come naturally to the child of God. After all, as Psalm 46 reminds us, God is our refuge and our strength. To whom else would we turn in times of trouble? But what if we do that and the Lord appears not to answer? If it seems that our prayers are unheard, if they seem to be met with silence, How then is the Christian, the child of God, 
to respond? How are we to cope with those experiences when it seems that our prayers aren't heard or aren't answered? It's striking, it's not unusual to find in the Scriptures believers struggling with what seems to be God's inactivity. Now, sometimes believers struggle with what God does. But sometimes they struggle with what God doesn't do or appears not to do. And we do find many examples in Scripture, a surprising number. One of them is the psalm we read earlier, Psalm 77. You look at the heading at the beginning of the psalm, it's said to be of Asaph. Asaph was the leader of one of the choirs that King David set up for worship. It may be that the psalm reflects Asaph's own personal experience. It could be. Uh, Even if it doesn't, it's certainly a very personal record that we have here. It is certainly the thinking of someone who passed through a very trying and difficult time and a time when it seemed that God wasn't listening. I want to look at Psalm 77 this evening. I want to think of it under the title, Thinking Straight. Thinking Straight. Because that is really what Psalm 77 should enable us as Christians to do. To think straight in our times of trouble and our times of trial. The times when we wonder what God's doing and what God isn't doing. Thinking straight. That little word, selah, that I pointed out to you earlier as we were reading through the psalm, uh, helps us to divide uh, the psalm up, shows us where the, uh, the divisions of thought are. And it gives us four sections that make up Psalm 77. We have, first of all, verses 1 to 3, thoughts that trouble. Thoughts that trouble. The psalmist clearly is passing through some time of severe trial. He's very direct about it. Verse 2, he says, I was in distress. My soul refused to be comforted, he says later in the verse. It is strong language that he's using. Now, the nature of the trials he's enduring isn't specified. We don't know precisely what he is having to endure. And I think there is a value in that for us. Sometimes in the Psalms, we have very specific accounts of what the psalmist is enduring. But often it's quite general and we're not sure. I think one of the values of that is that we can apply it to our own circumstances, whatever they may be. If it's very specific, you might find yourself saying, well, that doesn't apply to me. I've never gone through that and just 
Forget about the word. But if it is as general as this, you can take it uh, and take it as God's word to you in whatever your situation. And perhaps that's one of the reasons the Lord has left it, shall we say, vague, unspecified, exactly what the psalmist is going through. It's always appropriate to take words like this as our own, as God's word to us. And there's deep emotion, isn't there, in the psalmist's heart? Everything he says in these opening verses underlines that. I cried out. I cried out, he says, twice. Interesting, it's twice. A sense of urgency, isn't there, in this? Almost, perhaps, desperation. We have a sense of a man coming to his limits uh, and what he is able to cope with. He's crying out uh, repeatedly. I cried out to God to hear me. I think that's probably a slightly better translation in the NIV. If you happen to be using the ESV, it says, I cried out to God, he will hear me. I think there's perhaps more optimism in that than is actually warranted. Certainly he's still in a position where he hasn't got an answer yet. He's crying out to God. He hasn't got a response. And he's waiting and, and he's longing and he's feeling the pressure of the hard times he's going through. The answer hasn't yet been received. Now it's clear that the man writing here is a believer. It's evident from everything he says. I sought the Lord, he says in verse 2. That is where he turns in his times of trouble. He turns to the Lord. There may be human help in our times of trouble, but ultimately it's the Lord that we're turning to as believers. And so it is for the psalmist. And he's meeting his troubles with prayer. He's doing the right thing, we could say. He's praying. He says, I stretched out untiring hands. And it's that gesture of prayer, particularly in the Old Testament, of holding out hands, as it were, turned up to heaven, pleading with God, crying out to God for an answer. There's a real commitment to prayer from what he says here in the psalm. And yet, there's still no answer. I remembered you, he says in verse 3. We think, that's good, that's right. And then he says, and I groaned. In other words, thinking about God and not hearing from God, not receiving an answer, increases the burden. Why is God not responding? They certainly are thoughts that trouble him. And yet, isn't it great that we have words like this in our Bibles? There can sometimes be a, a pretending among Christians that everything is fine, everything is going well, we don't have troubles or problems. Now we know that that isn't the reality. And the Bible spells it out for us that as the people of God, there will be trials and hard times. But when we read words like this, 
Aren't they an encouragement to us to bring our burdens honestly to the Lord? Not to pretend to God, but to be honest with him about the burdens that we're bearing, the troubles that we're wrestling with. We're not to pretend all is well when it isn't. And we need not pretend, and after all, if this is the God who knows our thoughts before we think them, isn't it foolish to pretend before God? Because he knows what's really in our hearts and minds anyway. We're not deceiving him. We ought to be open and honest with God. And one of the blessings of being a child of God is simply this, that we can open our hearts to God and we can pour out our troubles to him. Even if every uh, human resource failed, if we were without any human help, we can pour out our troubles to the Lord. And that's what the psalmist is doing. And in many of the psalms, we find exactly the same thing. We find sometimes the psalmist saying things to God that might incline us to respond, well, you shouldn't say that to God. And yet he does, and there is no indication of any rebuke from God because he's done this. We can pour out our hearts honestly to the Lord and bring all our burdens to him. And he knows them anyway. Thoughts that trouble. But then the second section of the psalm, verses 4 to 9. Thoughts that depress. Thoughts that depress. Because the psalmist is still in the depths. There's no quick, easy solution. He doesn't put an artificial smile on his face. But he continues to wrestle with the difficulties and the struggles. He finds his view of God, what he thought about God, challenged by these hard experiences. They make him ask questions about God and what he had thought about God. Very striking there in verse 4. He says to God, you kept my eyes from closing. It's not that God is distant, it's God is there, but it's God who keeps him awake. It's God, as it were, who seems not to give him peace. You kept my eyes from closing. God is involved in these hard experiences But in a way, that makes them harder. If God is there, why isn't he doing something about it? Notice verse 5. I thought upon the former days. Because on verse 6, I remembered my songs in the night. What's he doing? Well, isn't he thinking back to times when things were easier and better? When he didn't have these burdens to struggle with, it seemed so much better in the past. God seemed closer. 
And of course, as he thinks back to better times, again, that makes the present troubles more difficult to bear. They're harder because he thinks of how it used to be, but now look at the situation I'm in. It's worse. And again, it it increases his burden, throws his present troubles into stark relief. How difficult times now are. The contrast between how it once was and how it now is is something that's painful for the psalmist. It can be painful for God's people. If you're in a time of trial and struggle and you think back and you think, oh, it was better then, it was easier then. Of course, that makes the present burdens heavier. And it may be that in your struggles at the moment, God does seem distant and unresponsive. And as the psalmist wrestles with this, it leads him to a series of of very bold questions, quite startling questions, that a man of God should be saying these things and asking these things, and yet so honest. He's asking questions that, that go to the very basics of What has God said about himself? Can I believe it? Is it still true? Here he is in the depths. Will the Lord reject forever? He says. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Very powerful questions he's asking. Would you dare ask God questions like that if they were on your heart and in your mind? The psalmist does. Has God forgotten to be merciful? And he is expressing very openly and directly doubts about the the very basis of his relationship to God, uh, the loving covenant that he thought he had with God. And he's wondering about it. Is it still there? Does God still love me? That's really what he's saying. Or has God abandoned me? And the Lord's people sometimes find themselves asking questions like that. Does God still love me? If he lets me go through this kind of experience, it seems he's even beginning to ask Himself, maybe is there sin in my life that that is causing this? End of verse 9. Has he in anger withheld his compassion? The psalmist perhaps beginning to wonder is there some sin that I'm not aware of that I should have confessed and I haven't, and so God's hand is heavy on me? And those can be the kind of questions that. Christians find themselves asking sometime, has God forgotten me? Has God stopped loving me? Have I done something that has offended God and he's no longer listening to my prayers? And yet again, there's encouragement here for us because you can see, I think, very clearly that we are 
able, we are free to be completely honest with the Lord in our praying, including our doubts. If we find our faith wavering, if we have questions about God and about his ways, we can ask him. We don't have to hide them away as unmentionable or unaskable. In a real sense, we can say God can cope with our incomprehension and our anger with him. He can take it, we might say, in everyday speech. He can cope. God isn't going to be overwhelmed with our doubts and questions. God isn't going to be at a loss to know what to do or what to say in the face of the questioning that may rise in our hearts. He can cope. There are thoughts that trouble then, and there are thoughts that depress in Psalm 77. But then in the third section of the psalm, 10 to 15, we've thoughts that encourage. We've thoughts that encourage. And really, verse 10 is the turning point in the psalm. One to nine have been the troubling thoughts and the depressing thoughts. In verse 10, things begin to change. Uh, You could translate the verse in different ways. You could look at different versions and they'll they'll look a bit different. But I think we can go happily with what the NIV and the ESV say. To this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. What's he doing? He is consciously adopting a new view of his situation, of what he's going through. Up to now, really, the focus has been on himself. Even in thinking back to better times, it does to some extent revolve around himself. And that hasn't really provided the answer. And he's moving his focus from himself very definitely, I think, to the Lord. He's thinking about the years of the right hand of the Most High. Not focusing on himself, because the danger is when you do that, you just go round and round in a little circle. And often you go lower and lower in your spirits. He's focusing on the Lord and thinking of him. That's at the root of why we've called our study this evening Thinking Straight. Because that's really what the psalmist needs to do. It's to get his thinking straight. And he'll do that and we'll do that by focusing on the Lord. What does he mean when he says that he will think of the years of the right hand of the Most High? 
what he's been looking back, we saw, on past experiences, looking back wistfully. Perhaps thinking, oh, if only it was like that now, wouldn't it be so much better? And that's simply increased his pain, because the past and the present are so different. And that hasn't really helped him. Now his attention's going to be set on what he knows to be true about God. And in particular, what God has done in the course of history for his people. He's going to think of God and God's mighty works. A particular example that he takes to think about is the Exodus. We'll see that in a moment. But he's picking the great works of God and he wants to focus on them and think about them and he knows that will be the way forward not focused on himself and his troubles but focused on God and what God has done as God's people ought always to be seeking to fill their minds with the works of God with what God has done the great certainties of our faith that we can hold on to when everything else seems confused and maybe falling apart. Some things don't change. And above all, God and God's works don't change. And he's doing this very deliberately. You can see that there, very consciously. He'll remember, he'll meditate, he'll consider These things just don't happen. But he sets himself to think of these things, to give time and attention to God and to God's works. The danger often is we don't set ourselves to meditate on God's truth. We rely on thoughts that come into our minds, a verse we remember. Now, God can use those. I'm not denying that for a moment, but that's a very random thing. And what we need, especially in our times of trouble and trial, is to focus very deliberately on God and God's word. That's what we need. Fill our minds with these things. Do it consciously and deliberately. There is certainly a place for meditating on how God has dealt with us personally in the past and to think back on what he has done for us. And that's good and proper we should do that. But above all, what we ought to be thinking about most of all are the great saving acts of God on behalf of his people. That's what should really occupy our chief attention. Think of what the Lord has done for his people, his great, his mighty works. And that's what we need to be thinking about. And here, as we said, it's particularly the exodus that the psalmist is thinking about. Great time of deliverance for the people of God, verse 15. With a mighty arm, you redeemed your people. That is what God did. Here's the mighty work of the Lord. And that's what the psalmist wants to think about. Great deliverance in the past. And that great uh, deliverance points forward to an even greater work of God. 
A deliverance not from bondage in Egypt, but ultimately deliverance from sin in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're going to think of the great works of God, you can't think of anything greater than what God has done in Christ. What he's done to save you and all of his people, an innumerable multitude. We should be thinking of God's great works of deliverance, above all his work in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. At the Exodus, as at the cross, God reveals his power. Psalmist is thinking of God's mighty deeds, his miracles, reveals the power of God. And we see his power in what Christ has done to save us. You see, his holiness, you see it back at the Exodus, your ways are holy. And we see it at the cross because Jesus is dying for sin to make us holy people. We see the power of God. We see the holiness of God. And we see the grace of God. In the Exodus, God was gracious to people who were unworthy, people who complained, people who grumbled. And it was grace that brought them out of bondage in Egypt. And it's grace that has brought us out of bondage to sin and has saved us through the work of Christ. And these are the kind of thoughts with which we should be filling our minds Focusing on what God has done to save us, to bring us out of our sins, to set us free, to make us his people. Remember we thought this morning about those privileges that we are children of God. We have a hope of glory when Jesus comes back. That's God's work. And we want to be thinking about that. Because when we focus on our problems, they grow, don't they? And they get bigger and bigger. And eventually they just fill your whole horizon. And the only thing you can see are your problems and your troubles. Whereas if we are focusing on God and his power and his holiness and his grace, the great things God has done, the problems will become smaller as God becomes bigger. Too often our God is small and so our problems are big. What we need is for our God to be big as he is. And then our problems will be smaller. We're not simply magic them away. We're not suggesting that. But it will put them in proportion. When we see them in comparison to how great our God is. And that's what the psalmist is doing here, focusing on God and his power and his holiness and his grace and holding on, with God's help, of course, to these things that never change. And we can say to ourselves, there are things I'm struggling with. There are questions in my mind. There are things I'm, I'm not clear about, but there are things I know 
And those things are what God is like and what God has done. And we need to fill our minds with those things. Thoughts that encourage. And that's why the psalm turns around at verse 10 as the psalmist begins to do this. And thinks and meditates and ponders the great works of God. And the way forward opens up. It doesn't mean the struggles just disappear. They may not. They may be struggles that will go on. But he has God's answer. And he knows how to respond. Thoughts that encourage. And then finally in the closing verses 16 to 20. Thoughts that delight. Thoughts that delight. Psalmist is encouraged as he thinks of God and God's great works. His spirits are lifting even though struggles may continue. But he's focused on God. God's the center of his attention. And now he finds delight. He finds joy. And it's in the Lord. It's still all God-focused. Verse 16, right through to the end of the psalm. The thoughts are still in the Exodus. Great deliverance in the history of God's people. And you read the language there. It's the crossing of the Red Sea, isn't it? Very poetic language. And even just read it as poetry and feel the power of the words and the description there. But it's not simply poetry. This is history. This is what God has done. Leading his people out, Exodus 13 and 14. The psalmist is turning over in his mind what the Lord did to bring his people to safety. You led your people like a flock. Interesting how often in the Bible, in the Psalms, the language of shepherding is used. We are the sheep God is the shepherd. The shepherd who goes ahead of his people. And of course you see how uh, the Lord Jesus picks that up uh, in John 10. I'm the good shepherd. The Lord leads the sheep and he protects them and he cares for them. He feeds them because he bought them with his blood. And we must see this in the, the full light of the New Testament. And the Lord Jesus is the good shepherd. How much greater is the deliverance we have in Christ than the deliverance the Israelites experienced, even crossing the Red Sea? That was a mighty work. must have been a wonderful thing to walk on dry land through the midst of the Red Sea and the waters on each side of you. But that doesn't begin to compare with what we have in Christ We're set free from our sins. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God is at work in our hearts and lives. He has done great things and he is continuing to do great things. And the troubled believer, by God's grace, can hold on to those certainties. Things that don't change and never will change 
things that are true even when you're struggling and asking questions and wondering about what God's doing in your life. These things don't change. They are sure and they're certain. We can hold on to what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. In those words that he spoke to his disciples in the upper room, he says, in the world you'll have tribulation. He doesn't stop there, but he goes on. Take heart. I have overcome the world. There's God's great work to think about and hold on to. Jesus has overcome the world. And when we are united to Christ, as Paul tells us in Romans 8, 37, we are more than conquerors. We might not feel like it. We might feel more like strugglers. And yet that is the truth. That's what the Lord says about his people. Whether you feel it at this moment or not, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. These are the certainties that we need to hold on to. These are the truths that will straighten out our thinking. Because when we're tried and tested, when we're struggling, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we don't think straight. You know that. People think things and say things in their times of trouble that they wouldn't normally think or say. Every pastor knows that very well. We need our thinking straightened. And the way to do that is to focus on what the Bible says about God and about God's great work in Christ. And think of those things and hold on to those things. Even when you don't see the way ahead clearly, even when the troubles maybe are still going on, they haven't gone away yet. And that'll give us the strength by God's grace to pass through the trials. He may take the trials away quickly, and he may not. But either way, we have the godly thoughts, the God-centered thoughts that will keep us strong, that will enable us to chart a straight path. Because our thinking is straight, and it's focused on God and what he's done for us. When the troubles come, and you know, I'm sure, some of the troubles God can bring into our lives, and there'll be others ahead, make sure your thinking is straight, that it's God-centered, that it's filled with what a great God he is, and what a gracious God he is. And the troubles and the trials may still be there, but they'll shrink down to size compared to our great God. By his grace, may we think straight. May we think God-centeredly in all our trials and tribulations.